morning we are going to be looking at the shepherd leader out of Acts chapter 20. So if you have Bibles, I would encourage you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. It's a fairly lengthy, you know, there's a difference between like letters when Paul is speaking and sometimes it can be a short passage. And when you get into things like the Gospels and Acts and some of the Old Testament passages, they're narratives, and they're a little bit longer. So bear with me as we look at this. The context for this is Paul's on his third missionary journey. He's been to a city in Ephesus, preached the Gospel there, as often happens, got into trouble there, because when you're missional and you preach the Gospel, some are going to like you, some are not going to like you. Your message is going to draw some, and your message is going to repel others. So that led Paul to need to leave the city of Ephesus. And so while he's in a town by the name of Miletus, he called for the elders of the church, the Ephesians elders. And this is his address to them. He is speaking to the elders at the church at Ephesus. So I will pick up Acts chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, before you begin to think, okay, Jeff's speaking to the elders and deacons. I'm just a lay person. I don't have to pay attention. Uh, not so fast. This word, even though it's spoken, here's the difference between leaders and followers. 
The application from this word is to all of us. All of us are to do things like testify to the gospel of God's grace, pay attention to ourselves, watch out. We're to learn from this. What is the difference between leaders and followers? Leaders are to be pace setters. They're to be the ones out front setting the pace. Another word you could use is they are the ones called to be change agents, influencing those who are following toward the desired change. So we need to recognize as we introduce this particular passage, the call is the same. Leaders are called to set the pace. But when we look at the text before us, it's not that what the leader is called to and what the followers are called to are any different. So here's Paul on his third missionary journey. He's previously spent time in the city of Ephesus, planted that church, established elders and deacons there. Now he's continuing traveling. He's about 30 miles south from Ephesus in the city of Miletus where he sent for the elders of the Ephesian church. He's gathered the elders and he begins to speak to them. So here we have a direct address from Paul to a particular church, which makes this a very important passage for us for understanding the role and the function of the leader, the elder and deacon within the church. Now, before I dive into some of the particulars of the text, one brief point. In verse 17, Paul calls for the elders of the church, and the word he uses there is the word presbuteros, from which we get our English word presbyterian. You know what it means to be Presbyterian? Presbyterian is not the set of beliefs we hold. Presbyterian simply means how we're governed. Presbyterian is different than Reformed theology or our covenantal set of beliefs. It comes from the word Presbyterian. Later, in verse 28, he says the Holy Spirit has made them overseers of the church, and he uses another word, episkopos, which is bishop or overseer. So here's Paul saying leaders, elders, bishops, overseers, and he's describing all these terms to describe the same person. Elders and pastors are the same office. They're not two separate offices. So what do we learn about leadership, and in particular about the shepherd leader from this passage that is true for all of us, because we all have a sphere of influence. Every single one of us is leading families, kids, grandkids. If you're at work, you have people who are watching. If you're a Christian, you are salt and light. People are watching you. You are a leader, whether you want to be. Some of us are very reluctant leaders, but you all have people watching you, which makes you a person of influence. So what do we learn about leadership from this passage? We learn that a leader's life or the shepherd's life is three things. It is a called life, it is a diligent life, and it is a sacrificial life. Look with me at verse 24 when Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What is Paul doing? 
He is here sharing his perspective, his viewpoint on his life. Notice the I don't account. I don't think about my life as of any value, nor as precious to myself. In other words, I don't live for my own comfort. I don't live in my comfort zone and say, I have to protect myself above all things. He says, I don't count my life of any value whatsoever, nor as precious to myself. I don't hold on to it. If only I may finish the call that God has placed upon me. The call of testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. There's a man by the name of Bobby Clinton who years ago wrote a book on leadership. And this is what he says about leadership. He says, effective leaders view present ministry in terms of a lifelong development perspective. The difference between leaders and followers is perspective. The difference between leaders and effective leaders is better perspective. Effective leaders have better perspective. I don't know about you, but I take great hope from that particular quote. Because when he says effective leaders view present ministry in terms of a lifelong developmental perspective, part of what he's saying is we never arrive. We're always developing. I love that, because at age 60, I feel like, do I know anything about leadership yet? And to me, it gives me great hope and great encouragement that, oh, wait a second. It's a continual journey of growth and cultivation. Perspective is all about mindset, all about how we view things. And the Bible pretty clearly says to all of us that how we view things determines how we live that our mindset, our attitude, our perspective will determine how we live. That's why Paul says to the Romans, see, I snuck some Romans in there for you today. That's why Paul says to the Romans that we are transformed, we grow, we develop, we change. How? By the renewing of our minds. That's not just information, that's all the inner faculties of our heart and soul. That's letting the truth of God's Word govern and shape us so that it shapes the information I bring in, the faith I feed it, the truth I live by, the affections, my desires, my likes, my loves, my emotions. It is renewing my inward being, and the result is growth. Now, sometimes that growth may feel what? Like, that big? Minuscule? But it's still growth through the renewing of our minds. Paul says that we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. So what was Paul's perspective on his life? First, he says he considered his life not even worth living if he didn't obey the call of God on his life. His life was worth nothing to him. So the first part of Paul's perspective was that his life was not his own. He didn't call his own shots. This is not just whether you're in vocational ministry. This is to all of us as believers in Jesus Christ. When you become a believer in Jesus Christ, very foundational to who you are is you are surrendering your right to autonomy. You do not belong to yourself. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are not our own, we were bought with a price. Do you know what that price is? 
That price was the blood of Jesus Christ. That was the life of Jesus Christ given to God as a ransom to purchase you. So you don't make decisions on your own. Yes, you make decisions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Do you know how different we would be if it became foundational to us that we don't belong to ourselves? We don't call our own shots. We are not the determiner of our own happiness. Next was that he was given a task by the Lord. And, that, and he was committed to completing the task. For Paul, it was the missional task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Again, do you realize we've all been given that missional task? The church, corporately, is salt and light to the world. The church, corporately, is called to go and make disciples of all nations. Leaders set the pace. Leaders are change agents pursuing the desired change from point A to point B, but all of us have been given the missional task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. So no matter what role he was doing, no matter what task he was about, no matter what role he was fulfilling, he was all about his call of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now one quick application before we move on you can't testify to the gospel of God's grace if you don't know the gospel of God's grace in your own life. And that's more than just going from being a non-believer to a believer or a non-Christian to a Christian. Friends, let me ask you, how much are you tasting God's grace in your life personally? How much is receiving, not just asking for, but really receiving and drinking from the well of forgiveness a part of your daily rhythms? That every day, every day, you know, we do sin against the Lord. We violate his law and we violate his love. We sin against his great love for us. Every day, even though we're not our own, we take autonomy into our own lives. How well do you know the grace of God? Are you tasting and drinking from that well? So that as Jesus said in the Gospel of John, it's like rivers of living water that are flowing from within you. That's what the Spirit led life looks like, because John even said by this, Jesus is talking about the Spirit, who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But Jesus has been glorified. Pentecost is all about his pouring out the Spirit. And as we believe on Jesus, receive his forgiveness, and are living in that constant union, abiding with him, rivers of living water, we are becoming life-giving to others. Do you consider your life not worth living not even precious to yourself if those rivers of living water are not flowing from you. Can you imagine what kind of church we could be if we would be that kind of life-giving to Lake Oconee, to this community around us? Now, what's the opposite of a called life? See, that's a called life, and that's an exciting life. That's an adventurous life. The opposite of a called life, though, is a driven life. Now, think about these two things. If you're not called you're driven. The driven life is a stressful, anxious, insecure life, where a called life is a free, adventurous, liberated life. If God's given you the task, you know what? God's responsible for the results. That makes you 
unbelievably liberated and free. You're not responsible for the results. You're not your own. God's responsible for you. You can be free and liberated to simply follow that particular call. So friends, that's the first part of a leader's job description, of the shepherd leader. They're called, sometimes reluctantly, but we're called nonetheless. Look with me now at verse 28. A leader's life is a diligent life. And the first part of verse 28 says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Now I'm speaking particularly to the leaders now. You cannot keep watch, either as an elder or a deacon, over the church of God unless you're first committing yourself and dedicating yourself to keeping watch over yourselves. Keeping watch or paying careful attention, and notice it says pay careful attention to yourselves. That means we don't just do it over our individual lives, but each other's lives. Oh, this is dangerous. I'm really stepping on toes now because do you know what this means? Yes, we are our brother's keeper. We are called to watch over each other's life. And now let me say something that's freeing. We need each other to watch over our lives. If the heart is deceitful, like Jeremiah says, above all things and desperately sick, I don't know enough about me to keep watch over my life. I'm not smart enough to, by myself, all alone, keep watch over my own life. I need the body of Christ. The question is, are we vulnerable enough to do that? Are we humble enough to do that? Or again, are we have the perspective, the mindset, that our lives are our own? I'm not letting anybody else in. I'm not letting anybody else in. But notice the order here. We, are we have to be diligent in keeping watch over ourselves first, then the church. It's kind of like what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7 when he said, first take the plank out of your own eye. Now think about it. How big is a plank? Take the plank out of your own eye. The plank prevents you from seeing. Then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your bro brother's eye. See, why would this keeping watch over ourselves be so important? It recognizes our own flawed, sinful natures. It recognizes our own need. And see, we have to recognize the influence we have over others. This is an issue of spiritual authority. We want to be a safe place for ourselves and others, a place where we could go to with vulnerability and transparency. And I don't know about you all, I'm much more likely to go to somebody who I know they are first going to confess their faults before they're going to find all the faults in me. One of the things that makes me so sad as a pastor, as a leader, is the number of times I have heard Christians say they would never share their deepest, darkest secrets with other Christians. They'll talk to non-Christians, and you know why that is? because they find Christians to be judgmental. We need to take the plank out of our own eye before we can take the speck, the little tiny speck. Now, we're called to take the speck out of our brother and sister's eye, but first, take the plank out of our own eye. Confess your selfishness and your self-protection and the ways you deny and all the things your flaws, your vulnerabilities, your anxieties. 
working on character and in leadership. Have you ever noticed every time Paul speaks? I'm speaking from Acts today. I could speak on Timothy next time and do the same thing. He always talks about character over giftedness. It is always character first before the most gifted and charismatic of people. It's always character and then competence. And character involves owning your stuff. Doesn't mean never making a mistake. Doesn't mean we don't blow it. And sometimes we blow it hugely. One of the mentors in my life was a man by the name of Steve Childers. Steve Childers is a dear friend, pastor in the PCA, missionary now. And he said he was teaching a class one time at RTS Orlando. And I was in his class and he said, I want to lay a challenge out before us. We're good at making the same old mistakes and repeating them over and over and over again. We do that all the time. He says, I dare us, let's make some new mistakes. Let's blow it big time and make new mistakes. Now, does he want us to do that? Not really, but do you get the heart and the energy and the dynamic of that? If you're living a called and a diligent life where you're free, if you're receiving and living out of the grace of God, you're free to make new mistakes. Why? What's the worst that happens? Oh, you ask Jesus to forgive you. And what did the cross accomplish? Only everything. He said, it is a finished. See, when we're not vulnerable and we're not confessing to one another, do you know what it really means down deep? We really don't believe Jesus' words, it is finished. We really don't think Jesus' death was sufficient for us. We have to add to it by protecting ourselves and putting a little bubble around us. Can you imagine a church where we all were committed to owning our stuff and free to fail and free to confess our failures? Friends, that would be a gospel culture brimming up, and believe me, that's attractive to others. Lastly, the shepherd leader's life is a sacrificial life. Not only are we to pay careful attention to ourselves, but verse 28 says, to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Very briefly, our shepherding has to be based on Jesus' shepherding of us. As Jesus says in John 10, he is the good shepherd. Who does what? Who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Who when he has a hundred sheep and one goes missing, he tells the 99, hold on, I'm going to go pursue and seek and save the one. The good shepherd who knows the sheep. My sheep hear my voice and know my voice. Who sacrifices his life for the sheep. Are we going to do that perfectly? Absolutely not. But as leaders, as under-shepherds, as deacons, as servants, our shepherding, our leadership is to be modeled after and formed after and patterned after the shepherding of Jesus Christ. The good shepherd who nobody made him lay down his life for the sheep, but he voluntarily, on his own, laid down his life for the sheep. Friends, what a good shepherd that we have. And 
again, we're not going to be perfect. I'm not trying to call us to some standard we can't keep. As a matter of fact, we can't keep the standard. That's why the key to this always is applying the grace of God, living in union, having our lives absolutely tethered to the good shepherd who's Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus' words to us were, abide in me and I will abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. The key application for us as leaders and as followers is to remain in Jesus, to absolutely stay as close to him as possible, to be united to him in all things. Friends, let's pray.